Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's all stand and go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask the Lord to come down and touch us. God, we love you so much, and we want your word to be real in our life, Lord, and we want it to correct us, to reprove us, but to encourage us and to give us direction, Lord. God, I pray that you give us that love for the word of God, that love to hear the word of God, but not only be hearers, but doers also. God, we love you so much. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody say amen. God bless you. Hopefully, I'll be finishing this up, and uh, we're doing, I'm doing my best. I really am. Uh, we finished up last week about remember, rationalization means to cause something to appear reasonable. To cause something to appear reasonable. And then we talked about Galatians chapter 6, uh, verses 7 and 8, where it said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And for he that soweth to his flesh shall reap to his flesh corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I tell the story about the guy that's in prison and he's sowing. And, uh, and he's uh, doing, repairing some of his pants. And this guy walks back and he says, oh, you're sowing. And he's in prison. He said, no, I'm reaping. In other words, he's going to spend some years in prison because of something that he did. He was reaping. And uh, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. Amen. America better wake up because we have been sowing to the wind. And it's going to come back and it's going to, it's going to really, God's going to get our attention. Amen. And when he gets it, for a lot of people, it's going to be too late. So I don't want to be one of those ones that know God and then not obey God, amen, so I want the word to be alive in our lives, but uh, so we were talking about Saul, finishing up with Saul, where he said, I did everything God told me to do, but he didn't, and Samuel said, what's the bleeding of the, the sheep and the bellowing of the ox that I hear, and he said, well, the people saved the best, then he began to blame people, so self-deception, seeking, seeking reformation, trying to re redefine God's command, thinking his good works will excuse his disobedience. That's what Saul thought because he, he saved the best. He saved the king. He, he was trying to do good works, and he thought that good works would help him being disobedient. It doesn't work that way. When God says something, you have to do it. You can't be baptized any way you want to. What does the word of God say? Amen. You've got to love your neighbor as thyself. If you don't love your neighbor, it's because you don't love yourself. So you're out of relationship with God. You're not moving in the right direction with him. You don't see people the way Jesus sees them. And so their lives aren't important. They're, uh, matter of fact, they're, they're kind of a, a gnat. You know, there's this somebody that bothers you on the job or at school or wherever you're at. It's just something that bothers you, and you don't ever see them the way Jesus sees them. He brought you there for a reason. He put you in that place for a reason, and that's to reach out and touch their life. Show them who Jesus Christ is. Amen? And so here he goes. He says, for rebellion is of the sin of witchcraft. This is what uh, God began to tell Samuel to tell him. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So, wow, uh, that, that was a difficult thing for him to hear. Now, in verse 27, okay, we're talking about verse 27 now, and uh, that's 1 Samuel 15. 
And verse 27, now verse 27 uh, holds a powerful message right here. Notice what he says. Samuel turns to leave and Saul grabs after his robe and he rips it. He rips it. And without batting an eye, Samuel quickly turns it into a life lesson. See, that's what happens when you're disobedient to God or when you rebel against ministry that they're watching for your soul. Uh, you better be careful because if you really, uh, really stop long enough, you're going to get a life lesson. You're going to learn something about life. Amen. Y'all remember me telling the story that when I was 17, I graduated high school and I wasn't going to be 18 till July. And uh, I had $500 from graduation, and my dad wasn't going to tell me what to do. I could come in when I wanted to come in. I could dress the way I wanted to dress. And so he broke my plate. He broke it. He said, your feet don't fit under my table anymore. Uh, go get your own table. And I told him, well, I'm leaving. He said, well, that's good. You can come back once. And, and man, I fixed him to have a life lesson there. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy, and I left. And, uh, of course, you all know the story about how I had that $500, but by the time you paid your rent, by the time you paid your deposits, by the time I didn't have any, couldn't even have enough money to make it to my first paycheck. And, man, I scrounged it, and, and that first month I didn't pay my bills because I was partying. I was having fun. I was my own man. And when all that hit me like a ton of bricks, I come in one day, flip the switch on, all dirty and oily and nasty, and I flipped the switch, and there was no electricity. And I went and opened up the refrigerator. The light didn't come on, but there wasn't anything in there but a jug of water. And I thought, man, at my dad's house, I got plenty of food and plenty to drink, and there's always electricity. So I went by. It's 9 o'clock at night, and I I'm full of oil from working in the oil field. Man, that's a nasty job. Y'all ought to Google that and look at it. Uh, you young people that don't think you want to go to school, <laughs> yeah, go get you some of that. Amen. My nephew and his friend, they were going to be big. Oh, man, they're going to work on the rig. And they went out there, and after the first day, the next day they come to get them, they couldn't find them. They were hiding. They, they weren't going back. And I was all dirty and oily and of course, you can't get that off with cold water, and there wasn't any hot water in my house. So I knocked on my dad's door at 9 o'clock at night and said, Dad, uh, I, I need to come in. Can I stay with you? And he said, why? And I, well, I just need to stay with you tonight. And he said, why do you need to stay with me? Don't you have your own bed? And he knew what was going on, and he just, he, I mean, he stuck the knife in and twisted it. Life lesson number one. You big man. You're your own man. Tell me why you have to stay here. And I told him, well, Dad, uh, <clears throat> I didn't pay my electric bill. And he reached over and he flipped on the light switch. <laughs> Life lesson number two. Yeah. Learned the lesson, didn't I? And I begged him. When I left, it was, I'm a man. I'll do what I want to do. When I came back, I don't care what time you tell me to come in. Can I just hit that refrigerator in just a few minutes to find something to eat? But you learn that lesson, and that's what happened here. Saul, man, he was a big man. He was so big now. He was humble when God first called him. He was hiding among the stuff because he didn't feel worthy. But now he's king, and he was running it his own way, and he thought by being king, it excused him from being obedient to the things of God, and we see him struggling now. 
And so uh, Samuel says, God's rejected you because you didn't listen to him. You didn't, you didn't obey him. And man, he got upset and he grabbed, he grabbed his robe and ripped it. And boy, he, he, he just begins to teach him a lesson. Just as Saul thought everything was okay, he was about to hear something change in his life. And his false notion that everything was fine, spiritually speaking, is one of the serious byproducts of self-deception. He thought he was okay. Remember, he said, I did what you told me to do, even though he was told. He, he was told what to do. He did because he was deceiving himself because that's the byproduct of rationalization. If you're in trouble, if you're struggling living for God, it's usually because you're rationalizing. You're trying to rationalize why your children should be able to do this or that, and you're losing them, and you don't even have enough sense to know it. And you began to, uh, well, you know what? Well, uh, we're just too hard on, no, 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 that's, that, that doesn't have anything to do with it. The bottom line is, is you're disobedient. You're going to reap the, 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 the sins of being disobedient. You're going to find problems being disobedient, and it's going to put rebellion into your children because you're rebelling against what the pastor says. They will rebel about against what you say. And you've got to understand that this can easily lead to <clears throat> a mistaken sense of God's favor on our lives, our ministries. We come to church, and man, when the choir starts singing, we can feel the presence of God. And we know we haven't prayed. We know we're not living right. We know we're not uh, obey, getting our children to obey the word of God. And, but boy, we're feeling something. We think, well, that's God's uh, approval on the way I'm living. He doesn't think I'm that bad. I'm feeling something. But... That's just a spillover of somebody else that is living right, that is worshiping, and their cup is full. And when they begin to worship, guess what? It spills over on you, and you get a little bit of that feeling from everybody else that's living right. And if you're not careful, you're going to think, oh, I'm okay because I feel something. You go by feeling. <clears throat> Am I right? I mean, you can't go by feeling. I, I always tell you, I Oh, I just felt the heater kick on. I felt something. It wasn't God. It was the heater. <laughs> but we deceive ourselves because we know we're not living right, but yet because we feel something. I always tell y'all, a cup full of sweetness, no matter how hard it's jolted, you got a cup and it's full of sweetness. No matter how hard it's jolted, it can only spill what? Sweetness. And when people come to God and they're right with God and their cup's filled up and God is love and they're full of the love of God and they begin to worship and they begin to sing and they begin to clap their hands, they're spilling nothing but the love of God out. And it's because of the love of God and it's because God <clears throat> wants to lead you to repentance. He wants to bring you to him, amen, that he's letting you feel the goodness of God, but he's not excusing your disobedience. He did not excuse Saul's disobedience. Saul had to pay the price. And when he got the message that God has rejected you, he's given it to somebody else, he realized what he had lost. And he grabbed Samuel's garment, his robe, and he, he ripped it. And he says, well, life lesson, friend, it's over for you because you did not uh, obey the word of God. So you think that you're doing all right because you feel something when you come to church. But if you're not obedient, it's the sin of witchcraft. In other words, you're deceived. 
you're deceived. You think you're all right, but you're not all right. But I'm feeling something. I'm feeling God's, God's, uh, he's not, well, you know what? He, he doesn't execute judgment speedily. He's long-suffering, more long-suffering than we are. But he's long-suffering. So uh, don't, don't mistake God's favor uh, because you're not living right and you're trying to do something righteous. Well, uh, I, I know I'm not living right. I know I'm not praying. I know I'm not doing this. But I still come to church, so it's a righteous act. I'm coming to church, and you think because you feel something, God's blessing you. for. I, I know y'all are wondering, why are you standing on this long? Because I want you to get this. I want you to understand that just because you're doing a righteous act doesn't mean that you've repented. Reformation is not repentance. <clears throat> and so we see, uh, we, we see that, that uh, oh, well, I, I'm going to sing in the choir. Well, you can sing in the choir, but if you're not obedient, it's still to see you're deceiving yourself. Well, I sing in the choir and I clap my hands. And God's surely going to excuse the other things I'm doing because I feel something in the service, but it doesn't work that way. So I want you to help uh, get you to understand. So let's look at un uncovering deadly obstacles. See, if we're not careful, there's going to be all these deadly obstacles. Now, I lived in uh, Bay City, Texas when I got the Holy Ghost, and that is on the bay. And if you just got in your boat and you just took off out of the, uh, out of the uh, Colorado River there, not the one in oh, uh, Colorado, you'd be a long ways from the Gulf, but it's the Colorado River in Texas. And, and you got in that, you just took your boat, and I'm going to the bay, I'm going to go fish out in the bay. And man, you just take off, all of a sudden you're going to just bottom out, you're going to hit some rocks, you're going to hit something, because there's all these deadly obstacles under the water. You don't see them, but they're there. And so they have a set of uh, uh, buoys and stuff set up, and you got to know what they are and where they're at. And then you follow them, making your twists and turns through the dangerous obstacles. And what happens when you're living for God out of deception, when you've deceived yourself into believing that, well, I know I'm not living right, but I, I believe God's, uh, he, he, he's not going to judge me on that. It, it's not really that bad. You're hitting all these, uh, all these uh, deadly obstacles that are just right under the surface that you can't see because you're spiritually blind. And you don't understand what's going on. So if we have engaged in self-deception and gotten off track spiritually, how do we regain our lives? See, that's why we have this 2 o'clock service is to help you regain your life. Uh, life has been hitting you all day. Uh, you've been, uh, 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 the world's been trying to attach itself with its thinking and, and with just living in the world and, and, and trying to get you to react instead of respond to the things of God. Y'all know reacting and responding when a doctor gives you medicine and, and you, and you uh, have a reaction. That's good, right? No, that's bad. He said, oh, don't stop taking it. You're reacting to it. But if he gives you medicine and it, <clears throat> you're, you're getting better, oh, you're responding well to it. What's well, the same way for living for God? If you are self-deceived, <clears throat> if you rationalize, you know what happens? You began to become self-deceived and you think, oh, well, you know what? I'm doing okay. And even though you're reacting when somebody cuts you off, idiot, what's wrong with you? <clears throat> 
I probably don't have to go any further than that. But see, that's how the world is. <clears throat> that's how the world is. It, it gets to you. And so all these things the world tries to attach uh, us. And that's why Paul said the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. So when you're in relationship with God, when you're not uh, uh, allowing self-deception to sit in because you're rationalizing everything, you learn how to die daily. What are you doing? I'm going to the Lord. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm praying. And what's he doing? That prayer life is scraping off the barnacles of this life, the barnacles that have tried to attach itself to you. And those barnacles will not sink a ship, but they will keep it from <coughs> being able to function at top capacity. And there's a lot of things this world will try to attach itself to you that won't destroy you, but it will keep you from being able to function as Christ-like. And you have to learn how to re realign our lives back with God. So self-deception means lying to ourselves. It must be removed like any other sin. Self-deception has to be removed like any other sin. Amen. We know God desires truth in the inward parts. Psalms 51, 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou hast made me to know, made me to know wisdom. And that whenever the Bible refers to the heart, it's talking about your will. It's your will. Now, you're either going to have God's will or your will. Either King B is going to be on the throne or King Jesus is going to be on the throne. And whichever one's own, there's going to be determined what will you have. <clears throat> is it your will or is it God's will? And so that's why uh, Jesus said, oh, generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak uh, good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So uh, <clears throat> here's the thing. Oh, Ella, you know what? Uh, I'm a Christian. Well, what comes out of you? See, you can say what you want with your lips, but you're still 12 inches from your heart. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Just give it time, and in the process of time. You remember when they were in Egypt, and uh, they began to wax strong? The, the, the nation of Israel began to wax strong. God's people waxed strong. And what happened? Pharaoh, got, he got worried because it was a new Pharaoh. It was a new ruler. And the one that Joseph had found favor with had died. And now there's this new guy. Now he's worried because he said, man, he said, ah, man, these people, they're, uh, they're just uh, growing too fast. And the Bible says that in the process of time, the new Pharaoh didn't know Joseph in the process of time. See, in the process of time... If you were doing a, a debate and somebody told you uh, your topic is time, what would you say about time? See, most people say uh, time, and they'd be looking like a deer looking in headlights, and they'd be going, uh, time is a 24-hour period, or time is what we know by looking at a watch, and time, and, and we're trying to describe time when there's only one way to describe time. The truth is time uh, is truth. And that's what Jesus was saying. In time, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. What's inside your heart is what in the process of time, 
Well, I'm doing good. I came to church. I worshiped God. We had a blowout. We were in the altar. We wept and cried. We get in the car, and we were in the process of time going three red lights. If you ever stop at this one by rainbow, it seems like it never changes. And you're not even hollering at anybody. You're hollering at a light, an inanimate object. But in the process of time, what's in your heart comes out. Young people, parents, you need to really love your young people. You need to, you need to pray for them. You need to put your hand on their head. and They need to hear you speak in tongues. They need to hear you worship God. They, they need to hear those things because if not, they can be deceived so easily. They can, they can fall by the wayside, amen? They need you to, to intercede for them so that they'll know how to intercede when times get hard. So here we are. That's what Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Notice our actions and attitudes flow from what is within our heart everything that we do flows from what is in our heart and what happens is we become so familiar I just told my my brother-in-law this story uh, this morning and uh, brother Carlton Watkins he's a great friend of brother uh, pastor Blizzard and me and brother Watkins was an awesome guy well he lived in Dangerfield and they had this jelly factory and so he went through there one day and they were showing him how they made jelly and and when they came out of that, that, that machine and when the jelly was put in those deals, they had to put the, the tops on them. And, and these women, did now some women, there was a few girls that had gloves on. But the other women that had been working there a long time, they were grabbing that hot jar of jelly, barehanded it and moving it and putting it in the boxes after the, after the top got put on it. And they're grabbing it and putting it in there. And the other girls, the young girls that hadn't been working there very long, they had gloves on. And they were moving it. And, and Brother Watkins asked him, said, why don't they wear gloves and the other ones don't? And he said, oh, they've been doing this for a long time and they don't have any feeling in their hands anymore because they got used to it. They're, they're, they're desensitized. Is that how you say I can't speak English, so hang with me. But in other words... Their hands became numb to the feeling of that because they've done it so much. And now the other girls, they couldn't do it yet because they were still using gloves. But these women, just did, they couldn't feel it anymore. And see, they got so familiar with it. And that's what happens when you live for God and you don't live in relationship with God. You don't live in a repentant life and you try to use reformation, trying to do something good to replace something bad. It don't work that way. It, it might for a while, but out of the abundance of the heart, <clears throat> it's coming out. Does that make sense to y'all? And so that's how it is with us. We come to church so often, we come so many times that we go through the motions and we don't really feel the power of God. We don't let the power of God change us because we've handled it so much. We're so familiar with when to clap, when to stand up. Uh, uh, I hope you don't call us to the altar today because, man, I, I, and I, there's a Chinese restaurant open up and I'm trying to get over there. 
We laugh, but it's the truth. We become so familiar that we no longer feel that power anymore. It's just something we do. And as long as we get close to what God has for us, we're all right with that. Because we're trying to replace something bad with doing something good. But that's called self-righteousness. And have you ever noticed that the ones that are self-righteous that aren't really really in tune with God, because if you're really in tune with God, you're going to see people the way Jesus sees you. You're not going to be self-righteous. You're not going to look on people and say, oh, you know what? They're sinners. Like, oh, I'm so glad I ain't like him. I fast. I pray. I'm just thankful I'm not like him. That's in the Bible. You see, when you replace something bad by trying to do something good, by self-righteousness, then you become that holier than thou. Then you look at everybody else because you've self-deceived yourself into believing you're all right. Self-deception because of rationalization. Self-righteousness turns into holier than thou. Oh, oh that's so powerful. That, that really is powerful. You know it? Ezekiel twenty two twenty six, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Man. Neither have they shown differences between the unclean and the clean. And they've hid their eyes from my Sabbath and I have, uh, and, and I am profaned among them. So he's talking about being profaned among them. And so that, that's a powerful little statement right there, amen? Oh, there's another scripture I want to get to, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to it on this one. But we, we see what's happening, amen? We see what's going on, and, and so it's important that we understand that. So to correct the way that we deal with any sin first is to recognize our vulnerability to sin. So if you are having a struggle, uh, listen, if it's turned into a habit, you've been doing it way too long. If you have a sinful habit that you have not conquered, that means you are self-deceived. You have rationalized yourself into believing I can still come to church, clap my hands, worship God, and if God comes back, bless God, I'm okay. Amen. And what happens is that's why we're vulnerable. That's why it becomes a habit because we've never released it to God. We never put it in an altar. We come seeking reformation. Oh, God, here I am and I'm praying. And I know you hear my prayers. Not if you ask amiss, he don't. If you're just asking him to Hear your prayers so you're scared of going to hell. It ain't going to work that way. So it's important that you understand that. Amen? So to correct any way to deal with any of your sin first is to recognize our vulnerability to sin and then to acknowledge its presence in our life. You've got to acknowledge it's there. You can't become blind to it. You can't be like the, 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 woman, the women that would grab those jars of jelly and and it didn't affect him. It didn't 
uh, hurt them. You can't be that kind of a Christian where you can keep coming to church and you never, never acknowledge your sin. And therefore, you don't know how vulnerable you are to it, but think about it. What habit did you, do you have that you shouldn't have? What is it that just keeps drawing you back to that part of the world? What, a, what is it that keeps drawing you and pulling you and, oh, I'm going to do right, and so I'm going to come down and you seek reformation. Oh, God, uh, I'm sorry. Sorry's not repenting. But see, that's what happens with rationalization. If I say I'm sorry, God's going to forgive me. We did something righteous. And so we go back out. And we end up falling back into that. It's the first time we turn the computer on. First time we're by ourselves. First time uh, mom and dad's not there. First time, and all of a sudden, we, we continually go back to this habitual habit because uh, we've, we've, uh, we've deceived ourselves. So just acknowledging sin isn't enough. We must ask forgiveness of God and anyone else that we've hurt. If you've hurt somebody, you need to ask them to forgive you. Well, Brother Abraham, I don't really think I did, but they, they say I did. Well, you know what? Well, what's that matter then? Call them up. Or if you see them, say, look, I just want to let you know that I'm so sorry. If I've offended you in any way, please forgive me. Then you've released yourself. It, it isn't dependent on how they react to it. It's how you responded to what their need was. And so you allow yourself to be put in the right position back with God. So then you must repent and turn from your sin. If something is stolen and broken, you've got to replace that. See, we don't teach that anymore. When I got the Holy Ghost on April 9th, the next day I called in and told the work, I have some personal business I got to take care of. I went back to the stores I stole out of. Mr. Young weighed about 450 pounds and and I'd, we'd go in there and steal beer, take an ice chest empty and show them. And we'd put a case of beer in the bottom and put ice on top of it because we told them it was getting ice. And they had their beer back there, put a case in there, covered up, open it up, walking out. And they couldn't see it because the ice covered it. And we did that many a times. And I got the Holy Ghost. And I'm talking about it didn't take me a month. It didn't take me 12 steps to sobriety. It didn't take me a, a year that night, man, I, was, I got the Holy Ghost. Man, I was baptized. Woo! Man, but I, I was troubled by what I'd done. So I called and said, I got some personal business. I drove that 23 miles to El Campo. And I went in there and I said, uh, Fee and people were waiting behind me. I said, is Mr. Young in? Yeah, Mr. Young. Mr. Young, I need to talk to you. And he comes over and he says, I said, you remember me? And he kind of squinted his eyes. He said, yeah, you used to come in here a few years ago. I said, yes, sir. We used to come in here and steal from you. But I got the Holy Ghost. I got baptized in Jesus' name at the Pentecostal Church in Bay City. And I come to pay you off. And I put more money on that counter than what I thought that I had stole from him. I mean, I, I really, really exaggerated how much I gave him. And tears swole up in his eyes. And he put a big old hand on it. He said, I don't want you. I said, you got to take it. God made a radical adjustment in my life. I, I, I got to make this thing right. Whoa. That was not repentance. That was restoring. That was making restitution. But that didn't get me off the hook. If I had not repented, that action would have meant nothing. 
because I would have been thinking that restitution was going to put me in the correct relationship with God, and it doesn't. It put me in proper relationship with him so that he would see the power of God in me and that he would see that Jesus changes things. Amen. But restitution is not repentance. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Repentance is confessing, God, I did this. God, I did that. And I am so ashamed, God. And I can't change it without you. I repent. And when I repented of it, you know what that did now? It didn't just keep going as I was. I had to do an about face and walk in a different direction. I didn't go the same way that I came. I, I didn't go in that store the same way that I went out. I had made restitution, but it was because I had repented and I confessed and I forsook and I found God's mercy. And that's why I'm still here 38, almost 39 years later is because I have found mercy because of the way I responded to God and not react to what I was doing wrong. If we are diligent to follow these scriptural guidelines, God will respond with forgiveness. So redefining ensures opposition from God. So if you start redefining, and that's what's wrong with so many of these young preachers. So many of these young preachers have lost the oneness of God in their message. And it, it's the fault of the ones that before them because we got so caught up in the spirit of things that we never really taught them why the spirit of God moves. You've got to, Acts 2.36 is the key to 38 and 39. Let all the house of Israel know, surely God hath made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, heard what? <clears throat> that Jesus was both Lord and Christ. They said, what shall we do? <clears throat> and then Peter said, repent. Man, that's what, see, I don't know, y'all. When I hear that, I'm going to shout. Because that's the reason I could repent, because I knew who he was. That's the reason I didn't seek reformation. That's the reason I didn't try to replace what I was doing bad with something good by just coming to church or saying I'm Pentecostal. But God got a hold of me. God changed the situation. God turned my life around. Because when I saw him, just like Isaiah, woe is you, five chapters, woe is you, woe is the drunk man, woe is this person, woe is that person, woe is that. But in the sixth chapter, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw God. He was broken by revelation. What did he say? Woe is me. No longer was it about somebody else. And when you get broken by revelation, you say, woe is me. You don't say, this person did me wrong or that person did me wrong. You just know what you did wrong against God. And when you repent, it puts you in proper relationship with God. When you repent, you're able to say, you know what? Whatever that person did to me don't mean anything. Because he set me free. He set me free. My, my, my. That is what we're talking about. So redefining ensures opposition from God. Isaiah 5, 21, to them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It tells us that there's something that we do 
that causes us not to move in that proper relationship. So reformation fallacy. Redefining good is included with that which is evil and vice versa does not change reality. Just because these politicians are trying to redefine good and calling it evil doesn't do away with the reality that they're going to have to answer to God. They're not scared of the Christians on this earth. They're not scared of they coming after us. But I got news for you. There's going to come a time when every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I heard some preachers preach that some people are so bad that when they come before God and he says, in the outer darkness, and they cuss God, and they're cussing God. No, 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 there ain't going to be no cussing God at this moment. I'm here to tell you, friend, ain't nobody. The last thing Jesus is going to hear isn't a cuss word or cussing him out. The last thing he's going to hear is every one of them going to say, you are Lord. Amen. Oh, I wish you could grab that, friend. Because when it's over, just like Saul, bless me. God gave it to somebody. No, bless me. And he rips off his robe. Bless me. He still didn't get it because you know what the Bible says? He sought after familiar spirits. Wow. He still didn't get what he did. He didn't repent. Oh, if I can just hear from Samuel. Well, you're going to a witch to hear from Samuel? What I'm trying to tell you is that when God cuts you off, oh, believer, uh, no, if I build again the things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. And the way of a transgressor is hard, the Bible says. God don't cut you off. You cut him off. When you step into the presence of God, and here's what I'm telling you, when you step into the presence of God and his presence shines down on you, there's two elements. When David had sinned and he repented and God's presence shined down on him, his heart melted like wax. And he was, being, he was able to be molded molded Pharaoh he was like clay you see when sun hits wax it melts when sun hits clay it hardens and Pharaoh's heart hardened the Bible said and well God heart no you better read your Bible because it says Pharaoh hardened his heart because when the presence of God came down on him he refused and you might be sitting here today and you think you might be able to play games with God or you think, well, you know what, I, I, I've got this reformation going on. I got this, I got this uh, <clears throat> uh, making this uh, reformation. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to replace evil with good. And you're just still, your heart's getting so hard because eventually all those things that you're trying to do good, if I'm not mistaken, Paul said when I do good, Evil's present. Isn't that what he said? See, when you don't live under the Spirit, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap, right? Isn't that what it says? 
You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh corruption. You sow to the spirit, you're going to have life everlasting. And so you can live the way you want to. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you're just trying to get by with reformation, trying to replace evil with good, it does not work that way. Because what's going to happen is the devil's going to draw you away with your own lust. You hear me? Draw you away with your own lust. He's going to pull you away. And then all of a sudden, that little thing that you're doing becomes a habit. And when it becomes a habit, that means that is in control and God's not in control. And you're going to find your life most miserable. And you're going to start trying to work real hard to hear from God again, but you're going to be doing it out of deception. You're going to be doing it out of a, a, a carnal desire. In 1988, in 1988, this guy wrote a book called 88 Reasons God's Coming Back in 88. And churches filled up. People ran. And backsliders prayed through because they were scared they were going to go to hell. Man, they were scared. So they're making reformation. They're running and getting right with God. Oh, God, I, I want. they weren't repenting. They were trying to replace all their evil by doing something good. And churches filled up. And we had these testimonies. Oh, 700 prayed through and 500 prayed through and 300 prayed through and everybody's excited. And then he didn't come back. And 99% of those people never came back because they only came because of fear. And see, that's what self-deception does. It allows you to be fearful, but you can't get that peace of God that passeth all understanding. And as long as fear is there, you're going to live for God. you got to have that preacher that preaches hell, fire, and brimstone every servant. If you don't, oh, oh, oh. Because you're not fearful. You're losing that fear, and you go back the same way you came. I hope that makes sense to you. We're, we're, I'm going to have to finish this up again, but I want you to know. I want you to listen to this preacher. I want you to listen to me. Reformation does not take the place of repentance. Reformation causes you to be deceived. If you look at the great reformation, when things began to be brought back, certain religions brought back baptism by immersion, but they refused baptism in Jesus' name. The Methodist church, the Methodist church brought back holiness, but now they don't live holy anymore. And you look at each one that brought something back, and that was reformation. But they never repented. And they never did get that full revelation. Well, Brother Aber, how come the Pentecostals got it? Because we were broken first by the revelation of who God is. And when we received that revelation, then all of a sudden, we understood why it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. And why we received the Holy Ghost. Why we repent, because now we know who we're repenting to. See, that's the whole key. You can repent, but that's just reformation if you don't know who you're repenting to. 
But oh, when you're broken by that revelation. April 9th, 1980. Nobody, nobody taught me a Bible study. Nobody told me Jesus was God. But when I walked into that church for the first time, something hit me and God he just cut me in half and everything bad fell off and everything good just all of a sudden came rushing at me and I wanted everything that I could have and I knew Jesus was God. And when they showed me why I needed to get baptized, I knew why I was getting baptized because Jesus was God. Amen? This was crazy. This is crazy. I saw these envelopes. Nobody told me what they were. I picked up and said, tithe. Man, the Spirit of the Lord told me, you need to do that. Well, hey, what is this? He says, oh, that's where we give 10%. I said, 10%? Yeah. I said, that's a bargain. I used to give 100% to the devil. God only requires 10%. That's a good deal, amen? See, y'all laugh, but you go ahead and laugh. I know when God changed me, April 9th, 1980. That's when I repented because that's when I was broken by the revelation. And people make fun. They call me all the time. Bible say, oh, Brother Avery, it's April 9th, 9th day. You better believe it. I wish you knew when you got changed. I wish you knew when you repented. And I didn't have to seek reformation. I found repentance. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap.